0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ubi Est Mia. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This is a podcast about Chicago by former Chicagoans. Former Chicagoan, current Bay Area resident Marcus Gilmer is today's guest. Marcus Gilmer is Mashable's assistant real-time news editor on the West Coast, reporting on breaking news from San Francisco. Previously, he worked for Chicagoist, the A.V. Club, the Chicago Sun-Times, and the San Francisco Chronicle. This episode was recording during the evening of December 2nd. Earlier that day, two people executed a terrorist attack that led to the death of 14 people and 22 injuries in San Bernardino, California. Throughout the day, Marcus was reporting on that tragedy. This episode starts at that point, and it moves on to his time in Chicago. Hope you enjoy the episode. How is Mashable? Uh, It's good. Today made it seem like it wasn't so good.
1: Oh, uh, it's – these are all blending together at this point. I forget how many of these I've covered so far. I was trying to think uh, when I was walking the dog a minute ago, which of these I've covered since I've been at MASH and when I lost count. So, kind of all blend together.
0: Well, that's incredibly depressing.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's – it's the truth. Uh, and that's just since I've, I've worked there, and that's just some of them. Obviously, we're not, we're not covering every uh, mass shooting. We're covering just certain ones, so –
0: the, the horrible question is, how do you pick and choose which mass shooting to cover?
1: I think for us, we, it, it's sad, but we definitely have, like, parameters. Usually it has to be, I think it would have to be extenuating circumstances. Like, if it's, um, oh, I don't know if that was a shooting or not. When, like, six people were killed at this Texas campground. I don't, mm-hmm. We didn't do that one, but I don't know if that was a shooting uh, usually it has to be if, it, if it's like a domestic related or gang related. Uh, it feels like it's like if there's a gang related shooting in Chicago and like five people are hurt or something like we probably won't cover it. Uh, I think it has to be unique circumstances that will pick it up. But there have been enough of those, you know, like Charleston, Chattanooga, Lafayette, um, Oregon, Colorado Springs today.
0: When you decided to become a journalist did you think it was gonna be like this
1: no <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what it was gonna be but I certainly didn't expect uh, I certainly didn't expect this that's for damn sure well so,
0: what, what initially drew you to journalism
1: like I came into it sideways uh, I, went, I got a master's uh, in communications and studied like fiction stuff. Journalism I didn't really, not really journalism, but like communications and uh, like creative nonfiction for my masters. And then I was pretty clueless as to what I was going to do after grad school. I mean, that's why I went to grad school in the first place because I didn't know what I was going to do. So just run up more debt.
0: Where did you go to grad school?
1: The University of New Orleans uh, as part of their uh, creative writing workshop. After grad school. Um, where there wasn't, like, we did a lot of studying of, of people like, you know, Thompson, like Hunter S. Thompson, Joan Diddy, and there's a lot of, like, study of that kind of stuff, but I never really had a, I, I worked for my my college newspaper, didn't, it wasn't like, I'm gonna be a journalist, and I didn't go to journos, journalism school, and I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't like, I'm gonna get the scoops, like, that. I kinda of came into it sideways and then I kinda of bummed around for a couple of years and then I ended up in you know in Chicago and I started writing for Chicago as uh arts and entertainment writer, like doing mm-hmm. you know, mostly doing like bands and music stuff.
0: That's like an unpaid freelancer type of thing, correct?
1: Yeah. I, I I don't know whether they pay writers now. I know I know they've advertised for jobs where it looks like they're they're actually like employing like full time writers now. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was just in the heady days of 2007, those wild, crazy days of weblogs. It was it was definitely a volunteer position. And so wh- basically, the access, like, I got to go to shows and review shows and get copies of CDs and review them. That was, like, the big hole, I guess. I didn't really, it was just something I did for fun. Because so I was in kind of a, not soul-sucking job, but just, it was a, it, I was just, like, in a, in a job that was just kind of not exactly was creatively stimulating, like doing like tech writing and like more marketing writing stuff. And so this was just something I could do on the side for fun to kind of have a creative outlet. And I just wrote more and more and more for them. And then the editor position opened up after I had been there maybe a year writing for them. And I was writing more and more. And so I was I was tapped for to become editor, to replace the outgoing editor, uh, who's Margaret Lyons at the time. That was 2008. So that's when I took over uh, as editor. And so it was kind of a, a sideways, this weird, askew angle. I'm sure that infuriates a lot of people who are more traditionally trained as journalists. And um, I think I think you're, that's probably going to be like a lot of people, I think, 10 years from now. That's going to be a, the way a lot of, of people get into it. I can't imagine why. I, I can imagine someone not opting to go to kind of try that route more than, say, chilling out whatever it costs to go to Medill now, University of Mizzou, not to undermine, like, the, the quality of those schools, but the cost of going to those. I, I forget, like, the, the I think the Cal Berkeley Journalism School here is something just insane for, for tuition now. And it's just, why would you want to run up that much debt for a, a career that's never going to pay you that like the, I think maybe you're probably starting salary is going to be less than what you are paying tuition to go to those schools and, um, you know, to work for who knows what small paper to start out with. So, and it, you could definitely tell that it, it probably, I probably rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I got a lot of, a lot of hateful feedback from just by virtue of it being an internet publication too, like a, a blog, a web blog, uh, I got a lot of hate mail from more traditional, established journalists.
0: Uh, you got hate mail from established journalists?
1: Yeah, like I don't established is maybe the wrong word, but I definitely got. Uh, I definitely would get things like little notes and stuff from people who were working as journalists for. Like there was a, a suburban newspaper where this one guy just like hammered me an email like a couple of times, and it was just like. And it was – I I can't remember what it was because, again, those things all blur together for me. They all – because you just get used to it. I brought a lot of it on myself just because Chicago has had this this reputation, at least at the time, is like we're supposed to be shit kickers, you know. Uh, Like uh, we're irreverent. And it's definitely – as it's grown, it's gotten definitely more uh, serious – uh, to boot and we definitely did a lot of that when I was there but when I first started going there there was a lot of just I like, would just talking shit basically and sometimes a lot of times out of my debt. so I definitely brought a lot of it on myself and probably deserved a lot of it uh there was stuff that was just unwarranted just because you're a blog and you would just get these just snarky like this one guy I can't remember like the Oak Park Leaves or some kind of suburban
0: that that is a paper yeah yeah
1: like some kind of was working there like sent some straight up hot fire hate mail and i just like emailed him and cc'd his editor back and i was like hey thanks for thanks for reaching out like it's uh you know sorry you don't i was like like kind of like so high road it was smug editor i never heard back from him again i was not the one of those people who like napalm bridges but definitely probably made things a little bit more difficult on myself going on and of course five or six years down the line, you know, looking back on it, I can look back on it and say, oh, well, I was a dick. <laughs> uh, I, I had no, and actually having after worked at newspapers now too, because that that was the subject of a lot of our ire at the time was like, you, that was when papers were being hit particularly bad by like layoffs, by the recession and they just, and it happened that they were not, a lot of the papers were not up to date with, digital and so they were getting hit hard financially and just by perception like not being up to speed with certain stuff and so it was a lot it was they were easy targets cheap targets a lot of times and now having been on that other side uh it's easy to look back and say like and understand at least why the papers were so far behind part of it's also maturity too i mean i was whatever actually i was probably too old to be doing that kind of shit. when I, saw, I was like 29 when I started at Chicago, so I was too old to be doing that kind of stuff. I can understand if you're like a 22, 23-year-old hotshot. So, again, that was just me running my mouth. I certainly saw other people that burned way more bridges than I did uh, throughout this whole process. You still see it now, but I, as I got to know more people who worked at these outlets I got to understand more of how much of that stuff was maybe out of their control or how hard they worked. That was unfair.
0: That being said, have you ever sent that type of an email to anyone?
1: No, I never sent I, – I don't think I ever sent a, a hot fire email. I always – as much as I would probably vent to certain people and just talk absolute trash about someone like offline or something, I never – I was smart enough to know – like I embarrass myself opening up my mouth enough as it is. Like I, I do enough damage to myself that way I still do but I've never done it like directing anger towards someone that I can think of probably someone can probably point out to where I'm wrong and I'm a lying liar but not to my knowledge I don't I don't
0: recall is that why you went to Chicago though was it for that tech writing job or you just chose Chicago after New Orleans cuz New Orleans is a fantastic city I don't know why you would leave
1: uh Katrina
0: that's a great reason to leave <laughs>
1: I, uh, a lot of reasons played into it. Uh, Sh- uh, Katrina was the biggest. I, this was about a year after Katrina. So I stuck around for a year, and the job market in New Orleans is always terrible. There was a brief moment where there was like this spate of jobs in New Orleans like uh, for companies that you know survived the, the hurricane. And I guess people left, moved away or just quit and was like, I'm out. Um, And so there were a couple of positions open that I remember applying for. And I was working jobs at the time that were just – I was working one tech writing job at the time that was just – it was just, you know, again, mind-numbing tech writing. Um, And so I was looking for something that would keep me there. But, you know, nothing really panned out. I was – and then I ended up switching jobs and just working for a a family friend, a a close uh, friend of mine. And it was a good job, but in terms of career track, that – wasn't there and I knew I wanted to get into something you know it, it related to editing or publishing and so it was kind of randomly picked Chicago I kind of looked at Boston I looked at Chicago and I ended up going with Chicago because it, it was cheaper It, from what I researched it looked like a, a more doable like you know Boston you know it definitely has a lot of publishing jobs but it's also got a lot of people young mid 20 somethings looking for publishing jobs too so uh, so yeah, I did. Uh, I moved to Chicago, and that was in 2006, fall of 2006. So, um, you're
0: exactly. originally from Louisiana, is that correct? Uh, Alabama, Alabama. I'm so sorry.
1: See, so, but but I'm saying, like, if you had the choice between, like, if someone asked you where you're from, and you had the choice between saying, like, oh, I grew up in Alabama, or, well, I just moved here from New Orleans, like, I definitely adopted for a long time. Uh, the I was, oh, I just moved here from New Orleans, which is. True. Sure. If I didn't grow up in New Orleans. That would have been a way cooler background than I grew up in middle-sized city, Alabama.
0: When it comes to being from a certain place that you're not exactly proud of, I've known a lot of people that will definitely make that something that, that you know about them really early on because it's sort of like, I got out of blank and now I'm here.
1: You know, it's weird. Uh, Drive-By Truckers, um, Patterson Hood, wrote a brilliant essay, and it, uh, I think it ended up – He's written so much. I know he's written stuff on uh, the Bitter Southerner, which is a fantastic website. Um, but I know he's written about it before, and he's written about it in songs about the Southern duality. And so there's a certain amount of pride that comes from being from the South because it, I am from a, a family that grew up like that, from a, a family that was very farm oriented and, and poor, or you know, of modest means as as the years went by and there's a lot there's a lot that happens there's a lot of things to be proud of about being from the south in alabama but it's just you know it's like a family member who just like keeps fucking up like you you like you want to love them and you want to defend them but then you see some of the stuff that happens and it's just like damn it i just defended you and so there's a lot of there's a lot of pride about it and um Patterson says it way better than I could in some of his essays and songs. But, you know, this, this mix of this weird, just this weird duality of, of the history, there's a lot to be proud of in that history, but there's also a lot of shame and a lot of stuff that, you know, you feel like you still, you know, the South still needs to kind of like move on from a lot of things and a large percentage of, of the Southerners don't. You know, the Confederate flag controversy that went right after the Charleston shootings it's a great example of that. It's just, you know, you. there's so much more that we could be proud of as Southerners with our heritage to uh, to be proud about and to, to promote. There's so many other people we could talk about, but it becomes an issue of these people clinging to this image like, just like, no, this is my heritage, man. Like, no, it's fucking not, dude. You didn't serve in any kind of Confederate militia. Just leave it the fuck alone. And, and, and you know, you try to be... You know, and I've definitely—I live in San Francisco now, so I mean, it probably seems like my knee-jerk reaction is to get as far away and like politically and uh, geographically from Alabama as I can. But I—I do, you know, I miss a lot about Al. There's a lot to miss about Alabama, but yeah, it's—it's a difficult, tricky subject, and you just, yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. I, you know, I own it to an extent, but at the same time, it's just. People are going to assume that you know Alabama is just one of those unique places in in America that you could say you're from anywhere. You could say you're from New Mexico or Nebraska or Iowa, and people will have certain stereotypes in their head for anywhere you're from. But Alabama is just one of those places. Like even even other Southern states like Louisiana and Georgia don't or Tennessee don't necessarily have those negative connotations. Uh, but Alabama is like unique in that regard, I think. And so because it was,
0: I don't think I could compare it to Chicago in exactly. But there is this weird dichotomy of being incredibly proud of being from Chicago right now and also incredibly depressed of what's going on in Chicago. And this is not a new thing. This has been since I've been alive. I don't ever see it possibly going away. And that's in one city, let alone a state. What what do you think about that as someone that's from Alabama that also got the hell out of Chicago?
1: Well, it's funny because, you know, with – with the recent news out of Chicago, with the uh, Laquan McDonald video and everything, um, and Chicago being a national topic again, it's kind of – in a way, it, it kind of offers itself as a defense because if you if you read back and there's a fantastic book, and I, uh, American Pharaoh, about the first Richard Daly. What that book does so brilliantly is besides being a biography of, of Richard Daly, it's also kind of this biography of Chicago – as a city in the 20th century, starting really at the beginning of that group of, uh, you know, German, Irish, uh, Italian families that, you know, the Dailies were part of in the South side and how the roots of Chicago's segregation and kind of the racial disparity took roots in like the 19-teens and the 20s, like, it's been a hundred years of that stuff, like, you know, building what was it the Dan Ryan that was built specifically mm-hmm. to separate, you know, to keep African Americans out of like certain South Side neighborhoods, like Bridgeport and everything. So, so Chicago has its own unique history, considering it's you know Midwest or Yankee or whatever you want to call it. It's not the South, and so there's a lot of so it's weird. It's it's weird coming like having spent a lot of time there and getting to know a lot of about Chicago's own history. I mean, even more recent stuff, like John Birch. I mean, you know, the whole John Birch thing. Like, I was thinking the other day, like, with this – they want the Department of Justice to investigate uh, – you know, Lisa Maggie wants the Department of Justice to investigate Chicago Police Department. It's like, well, how did they ever go away, like, with what John Birch did? Like, how do you ever let that department run itself ever again? Uh, and so it is very weird, like, looking at the the different – the ways that the similarities, like, this, this deep racial – and an economic divide that happens in both, you know, the South and in Chicago and yet how they are in other ways so incredibly different.
0: Let's get back to Chicagoists really quick. You were there for a handful of years and then you uh, got a pretty great job somewhere else and then you ended up in a newspaper. Uh, wh- what was the progression of there?
1: Uh, it was weird because I actually did one of those things where I went backwards from where a lot of people did. A lot of people, I think now, you, you might – at least, I don't know, And now it's completely different because you can probably start writing something for BuzzFeed uh, or Mashable, but as a youngster out of uh, J school. But, um, you know, a lot of times the progression, at least, you know, five, ten years ago was, you know, you might progress, a lot of newspaper folks progress towards digital. As the handwriting was on the wall, there were cutbacks and digital became a, a burgeoning place of journalism. And people were figuring out there's a lot of experimentation going on. There still is. And so a lot of journalists probably went, at least at that time, were going that route, you know, leaving newspapers to go to digital. And for me to go backwards, uh, it was kind of weird, but it was also incredibly valuable in a way, I think. Like I said earlier, you know, it gave me that perception of of what the other side was like having worked in digital and kind of, you know, made plenty of jokes at the expense of, of print publications, but... At the same time, it was also a challenge, and also I think something I believed in, you know. And I, you know, I went, I was at the A.V. Club for for two years, and that was a, a good experience. But then I, uh, you know, going to the Chicago Sun Times, you're talking about a newspaper that has a long and storied history in Chicago, for all its faults, you know. And the same concept for the Tribune, you know, it's got plenty of faults, but it's it's also has a uh, you know a good history, and it was something. In a way, I felt like the Sun-Times is really the paper of the city. I think, you know, the Tribune kind of comes off as more of a paper for the more affluent northern suburbs sometimes, whereas the Sun-Times is much more aimed at, like, the blue-collar workers and some of the stuff they did. um, You know, they had just come off a Pulitzer win for some of their coverage of, um, you know, Mark Conkle and Frank Main. And I think photographer John Kim, who is now at uh, the Tribune, had done amazing work like covering crime in Chicago and, and why a Pulitzer. And there's a lot to love about what they were doing and the reporters that were there at the time. And and a lot of them still are. And to be able to, to be conceited and a little vain about it, like to be able to play a role in like shifting this, this great newspaper to also being, having a great digital presence was also a really, there's a lot of uh, appeal to that and getting to work with some of the people that I, I got to work with and, um, some of the opportunities that I thought were there, you know, it made it really appealing to kind of try that as a new challenge and to get more experience cutting teeth, like in terms of a, a much harder journalism environment.
0: You said experiences that you thought would be there. What wasn't there? Mm
1: -hmm. I think, well, I think that's, that goes for anyone at any job. You you go in thinking with these projects and there's a lot of talk about projects you can do, but because of some kind of corporate, different corporate mandates or just the way things can get watered down in committee. Things don't always necessarily turn out like the way you want them to. I think there were a lot of cool things that we did do. Um, And with the sometimes it's, you know, it's it's weird because it's been through such a tumultuous experience that a lot of the stuff that, that I worked on there and that some people I worked with kept working on after I left and building really cool things ended up being shut down, just completely killed. They were in existence for a couple of years and then they were killed just because of, uh, management decisions. Um, some of them, I can't tell you exactly why, like, you know, we built a new blog system and we spent a lot of time and energy trying to preach, you know, blogs to these hard journalists, you know, people like Fran Spielman who do great city reporting, but like how can someone like Fran use like a blog to her advantage? And and use social media to her advantage. And, of course, it was a weird time for the Sun Times because of all the people, you know, someone who had such an impact in going online was Roger Ebert. And, you know, I think it was – and then during my time there was, of course, when Roger passed away. And he was such a big proponent of the blog. And he was someone that I could always cite, you know, when when trying to convince someone like, you know, look what Roger does, you know. But, you know, he, he reviews his movies, but he uses his blog for so much more, you know. And and you know we built this blog and we got a lot of those guys doing stuff. We built an amazing website for the the David Koshman investigation, which was a completely a Sun Times thing. You know, um, Tim Novak, Carol Marin, and Chris Fusco and, and Damia Helpless. You know, those guys did such amazing work on the Koshman case and other cases too. But especially the Koshman case was such a big Sun Times project. They were responsible for that 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 case. Being resurrected, and uh, some of the the web producers there, some other folks, put a gorgeous site, a beautiful responsive website that collected everything you could want. All of our stories, just archives of stuff, photos, videos, a nice interactive uh, map of, of the, all the players involved, and it's. Uh, I haven't checked, but I know that they killed the blogs. They killed a couple of other. They killed the breaking news site that uh, had been built too by some folks after I had left. I'm assuming the Koshman site is is gone. I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, but it's uh, you know, if ideas like that. The David Koshman site was just that was one of those great ideas that actually made it to fruition. And I you know we talked we definitely talked about doing more projects like that while we were there, but just. Because of the way things go at a, at a place where that much money is involved and, and where there are so many people that have to sign off on certain things and so many different groups you have to work with that by the time nothing really ever survived, a lot of things didn't survive the infancy stage. So,
0: It seems like in your time in Chicago, you went from doing something sort of as a hobby, super small, to becoming the boss there. To going to a place that's like completely respectable and beloved in the comedy community, to going to one of two major publications, so like slowly getting more and more and more engulfed in what journalism means, and then as soon as you're not as soon as you're there, but after eighteen months or so, you're no longer there.
1: In a, in one way, it kind of feels like I'm I failed upward. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was at Chicago's for two years and then moved to the A.B. Club where I was the associate producer of their local content. You know, uh, you know, Chicago no longer has a print version uh, of, of the uh, – no one has a print version of The Onion anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, there was the A.B. Club Chicago and there were city sites all over America. And I, they each had their own editor and I kind of oversaw those editors. And, you know, they tried something innovative with uh, a franchise uh, – business model to try to expand into a lot of different cities and it just didn't work. You know, uh, you're talking, you're still talking about the post recession and for whatever reason, maybe the model was faulty or maybe the partners they chose were, and some of the partners were like major, like it was Toronto star in Toronto. So you're talking about a major publication there. Um, but it just didn't work and it collapsed. And then, so we were all laid off. I mean, a couple of people survived in other positions, but for the most part, Myself and most of my staff were laid off. So, And I, I somehow went from that to landing a job as a digital editor The Sun Times, you know, a nationally renowned Pulitzer-winning newspaper. And I was there. I wasn't at the Sun Times very long um, when it became clear that the handwriting was on the wall. You know, I was only there seven, eight months before Farrow laid off all the photographers. You know, you could kind of sense something was coming and, you know, you've seen – more layoffs and buyouts, them selling off the suburban papers. And that has all come since I left, but I did not like where things were going. And it was kind of, and you know, a lot of people did too. And I guess for me, I had the flexibility to move on to something else. And that's when I moved out here to join the San Francisco Chronicle. So in one sense, it is kind of, you know, building experience and moving on. Uh, but another, I guess, depending on how you look at it, it's it's kind of like a field upward.
0: Did you go looking for the San Francisco Chronicle, or did they approach you? How did this work out? Were you just ready to get out of Chicago?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, and not necessarily ready to to leave Chicago. That wasn't necessarily the impetus, but I think I realized that given the state of journalism and just what was open at the time, like you still had things. You still had publications there like you know, Huffington Post. You had DNA Info Chicago starting up, who had I actually I had actually talked to at one point, uh, someone there, but there weren't any positions really available at the time, and trying to figure out, like, where am I going to go for the next step in, in journalism, and it just, at the time, it didn't feel like there was really, it was like, well, I could go to the Tribune and digitally speak, and on the digital side, there was... There wasn't much availability and so it kind of felt like I had to look outside of Chicago you know my girlfriend at the time now my wife uh, had lived in Chicago for uh, 11 years at that point and I think she was kind of okay like yeah let's let's do it and with her blessing like we kind of started looking and that's how I kind of found the uh, the Chronicle gig and uh, got hired got hired there so it was kind of a it, it really wasn't a you know screw you Chicago I'm out of here kind of thing uh it was a more of it was more about the job and the opportunity and what's next um and you know to be honest like right now i don't know i still couldn't tell you like and maybe i'm wrong and just haven't been in this city for years but it's hard to think like where can i go now in chicago like sometimes it's clearly like you know it's a shell of its former self like god bless the the, the really hard people who are still there keep you know turning out that paper every day, but, you know, they're not going to hire, you know, they've been going through buyouts and and layoffs. They're not going to hire anyone new and probably wouldn't hire me back. Uh, If we're really, like, hell-bent on moving back, it would be difficult for me to find a position there, I think. Uh, And I could be wrong, Uh, but it it, it feels like that, I think.
0: You were at the Chronicle for roughly the same amount of time you were at the Sun-Times, and now you're at, like, you're you're at a site that is, no, obviously not in print. You're at Mashable, which is very... (laughs) Uh, very popular. You get the most clicks yet.
1: Yeah. It's like, man, I've never probably had so many millennials read stuff. I write. Yes. Um, It's weird kind of being feeling like one of the older people there on, on the staff. Like I went from being one of the younger people on two newspaper staffs to being probably one of the older people on a staff, uh, But it was, you know, they they reached – I was at the Chronicle for a year and a half or so. And then uh, my current uh, boss at Nashville reached out to me uh, back in the spring and we chatted and I went through the interview process and and they chose me. And so I'm there now back to doing stuff that was much more similar to what I was doing at uh, Chicagoist and the Sun-Times, you know, breaking news, doing stuff, uh, you know – helping us evolve our like that, that breaking news team that they're building. Um and it's amazing. It's it's tremendous. I'm exhausted but it's it's a lot of it's a, it's a really cool place to be at a really cool time and for that company. And it's a testament to you like going back to what I was saying earlier about how far, you know, we think about like where I was when I started Chicago in like two thousand seven, two thousand eight and now where online journalism or digital journalism is now compared to where it was then. Like I remember when I first got my Twitter account, and we set up Chicago's first Twitter account. And for like the longest time, Chicago's Twitter account was just an automated feed, and that wasn't really seen. That wasn't really frowned upon at the time because people still didn't know how to use it, and uh, you know. it's so it's it's just to see in that short time how how uh, far it's come, and it's kind of the best of both worlds because we're getting to a lot of awesome things. We're getting to experiment. We're getting to a lot of cool things in. Digital journalism, but I'm also getting to work with a lot of people who come from a print background and a traditional journalism background, you know, the New York Times, Newsweek, you know, those kinds of places, the LA Times. And it's really amazing because it's kind of that perfect sweet spot that there's that dedication to journalism, that mentality, but a willingness to experiment, a looseness that maybe wasn't there. All the way at, at, at the papers at, at times, or at least I guess more about the uh, not so much about a, a feeling that wasn't there because I got to work with great editors at those papers, but um, just the environment, I guess, the culture. You know that that culture at newspapers is is getting there, but it's slow. It it takes a long time, and it's still evolving. Whereas with digital, it just moves that much quicker. It's just boom, 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 boom. You move on to the next thing. Partly because you don't have to worry about a print product that sucks away most of your revenue but you
0: make it sound so simple well
1: that's because I'm not involved with a lot of uh, those kinds of things I just get to, to do my stories and not worry about the business aspect at all so that's just mainly ignorance more than anything
0: why are you a Cubs fan why not lots I, of reasons I've lo-
1: I, I love suffering man <laughs> you know, uh, going back to growing up in Alabama um, was sport it was just a weird place because you know, we had like a minor league baseball team in my hometown that I love. And I was affiliated with the Oakland A's. So I grew up watching the A's, but we also had the Superstation. So I watched a lot of Cubs and Braves games and the Cubs were actually kind of okay back then, the mid to late eighties, you know, and the Rhino and Andre Dawson, Shawan Dunstan, you know, uh, Lee Smith, Greg Maddox, like, you know, they, they, uh, they went to the playoffs a couple of times. And they were fun to watch. The Braves were terrible, um, you know, in the mid to late eighties. And so I always was a, uh, uh I was definitely one of those people who watched the cuts who grew up on it, and there are tons of them all over that grew up watching it just because of the Superstation and Harry Carey. Once I moved to Chicago, there was no question.
0: I really like following you on social media on game days, uh specifically when there's that sweet spot of college football and almost playoff baseball and occasionally some other random sport and you'll have like five screens going. It's it's a it's a lovely thing to see.
1: It's it's overload, but it's it's like it's what I it's those little moments, you know, like how much can I physically take in? Like, just there's no limit.
0: What's the Chicago equivalent of your neighborhood in San Francisco? Is is it Bucktown? Is it Wicker Park? Is it Pilsen? How what it what is San Francisco like for a former Chicagoan?
1: See, now that's a hard one because I I technically live in the East Bay, okay, uh, and I live on the island of Alameda. So I am Alameda is a bunch of the Southern edge of Oakland. I'm like two miles, three miles from Oakland, uh, from, from my house. It, it's kind of, I don't know. It's quite diverse. Um, it's, it's hard to really think of a, an equivalent for Chicago. Uh, to me it feels like some of the safer areas of, of new Orleans, is just a little bit more diverse. Um, God, that's a great question, man. I don't know, because <laughs> some of those, those neighborhoods in Chicago are so unique, and uh, the, the neighborhood structure here—there's definitely a neighborhood structure, but there's not. Especially in San Francisco and in some places in Oakland, there's definitely this identity of certain neighborhoods, but it's not nearly as distinct as in Chicago, where you've got like the Swedish neighborhood, the German neighborhood, the Irish neighborhood, and the hipster neighborhood, and the uh, you know. The gentrifying neighborhood, whichever that is now. Humboldt Park, I guess.
0: What was the last neighborhood you lived in in Chicago? Andersonville. What do you miss the most about Andersonville?
1: There was such a variety of awesome things in a small, walkable distance. Easy to get to, like, there was the Jewel up on uh, a couple blocks north. I was I was basically on Ashland, maybe a block away, like, from Clark. So, had like... You had stuff like Aunt Sather, but you had also like you had. A, I was like Hopleaf was right over there. Simons is over there. The gym I went to is like across my alley. I could walk out my back door. and walk the back door of the of the gym there. Uh, so many it's little restaurants. Uh, Big John's, the New Orleans restaurant up there. There were there were several things opening up that were pretty new there. And it was just it was a chill neighborhood. There was always stuff going on, but it was never loud, it was never overwhelming, and it was just a good, just, you know, it was relatively safe.
0: You've worked in journalism for nearly a decade, and you've worked in a lot of different capacities, and you've lived in multiple cities. If you were your your 28-year-old self, 29-year-old self again, would you want to do this at all? And if so, where would you want to begin?
1: You know, I'd have to say, yeah, because I learned so much. And along the way, besides learning about things and besides getting interested in things I never would have found myself getting interested in, uh, especially from a local politics angle in Chicago, um, like down at the aldermanic level, I think not only was it about what I learned and how I can use those skills now, it was also about the places I got to work and the people I got to work with. You know, I think one of the things that's depressing about what's happening with these buyouts and layoffs of the last pollution in Chicago is that Chicago has always been such a strong media town. I mean, I've done the traditional journalism route, but I love Royco just as much as anybody else. And I think that uh, it's such a unique city uh, that way. And and people love their news there. I mean, I you know, I've definitely lived in cities where – People out here, they definitely follow, you know, uh, local news to an extent, but there's, and maybe it's part of it, it's the competition uh, mm-hmm. of Chicago of having a two paper town and, and now digitally a lot of other places like Chicagoist and Gaper's Block, which are kind of the, the grandads of digital stuff. And now you've got like DNA info um, and, and HuffPo, but it's just, it really feels like there are a lot of great people doing a lot of great things and just to have had the chance to work with them And to work with them on the stories and in a city that's churned out so many amazing and heartbreaking stories at the same time. It's it's such a unique city. It's just like a confluence of all those things, I think, that made it such a unique experience. I can't imagine coming up in journalism, you know, back in Alabama, in in Huntsville, Alabama, where I grew up, or Birmingham, Alabama, and having anywhere close to the same experience that I did in Chicago. And also just going through all that at the time I did where this digital journalism thing was kind of evolving. And there's definitely stuff you learn at, at print outlets that like the hard scrabble kind of stuff that, that there's a value in that too. Uh, definitely not dismissing any of that. And uh, yeah, so I think in, in a way I may have said stuff like I failed upward and uh, may have gotten my mouth to get myself in a lot of trouble, but it was definitely, it's definitely been a pretty incredible experience.
0: I'd like to thank Marcus for taking time out to talk with us on a very hectic day. Just like to point out that Marcus's work on the David Kochman project is actually still up at the Sun Times. Just go to slash Koshman, K O S C H M A N, and you can find all of the work there. To see Marcus's daily work, go to Mashable.com. Follow him on Twitter, it's at sign Marcus Gilmore. Follow us on Twitter, that's at sign UBS uh, we're also on Facebook. That's just backslash ubiestmia. Follow me, Brennan Weatherby, on Twitter at sign ymte. Special thanks to Daniel Knox for both of our theme songs. That's what you're listening to right now. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful night.